0: about you, uh, but do you ever look around and just think, what is wrong with our world? I mean, you look around, like, like you turn on the news, you turn on the radio, and you're like, there's so much just, just problems in our world. I think about that, that nurse that got kidnapped in Haiti, uh, her and her daughter, million-dollar uh, uh, um, what's the word, ransom. Ah, man, it's gonna be a good preacher when I can't think of the word ransom. You know it's good today. Yeah, you look at that and you're like, how terrible. I I I saw an article uh, in uh, Yakima News that Yakima already has over 24 homicides uh, this year. Uh, Looking like it's gonna be a a record high in the city of Yakima. You're like, what is going on? You turn on the news and you hear about politicians on both sides of the aisle that are having indictments uh, against them, and this is not a politically motivated statement, But no matter what side you fall on, it can we acknowledge it's not very healthy when we have both sides of the political parties that are being indicted for wrong things. In fact, I I, I saw this. I saw the Ukraine-Russian war. You remember when it started and we're all like paying attention to it? It's still going on. There are over 300,000 people that have died because of that Ukraine and Russian war. You ever just look at our world and think, what is wrong with this place? Right? We feel that. I hope you'll feel like you look around, you're like, man, something just isn't right. But it's not just out there. It's not just in the world. How many of us, were are going to be honest that in our quiet times, when we are alone in our thoughts, that maybe we have that nagging voice in the back of our mind, that maybe things just aren't right within us. Maybe it's not just what's wrong out there, but what's wrong with me. In fact, I've got a friend I met with here not long ago, and, and this friend, he was in his mid-60s, and he says, hey, Kevin, he said, you know, this weird thing happens. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid-60s, and I keep hearing that nagging little voice. He said, when I was little, my dad said, you'll never amount to anything. He said, I'm in my mid-60s, and that nagging voice is louder today than it's ever been, and I hear him say that, and I'm like, dude, what hope is there for me? Like, I was hoping the older I would get... The less those childhood wounds and those things would be present in my life, I thought I'd grow out of them. I thought I'd mature. They wouldn't be present anymore. But here you say, saying, man, that, that voice is still ringing in my head, weighing me down. And let's just be honest, how many of us, whether there are parent wounds or whether we're just going to be acknowledged that it's just how we're wired, but we have that feeling within us that things just aren't right we're not good enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not strong enough. And maybe, maybe it's not that we're not enough, maybe it's we think, well, huh, I've made some huge mistakes in my life. I've got this guilt because of the things I've done. And man, let me tell you what, if people knew what I've done, I'd be so embarrassed. I would never show my face again. Are you there? Can you... Can you hear that voice nagging at you? How we spend our lives, we spend our lives trying to quiet that voice. We spend our our lives trying to, to, to silence that voice where we can feel like things are okay, that we can feel like we've solved the problem of that inner voice that is constantly there. This is why some of us, this is why we've come to church. We've come to church because we're like, man, I'm a mess, I know it. The world's a mess, I know it. If I go to church, maybe I can be religious, and that'll solve that nagging voice, and I can make God happy with me, or we start listening to what the world tells us, that we may say, man, I don't feel right, I don't feel whole, I don't feel complete, and the world says, well, it's your sexuality, you need to open up your sexuality, and then you'll be satisfied. The world says it no, all. It's not that now. It's you've got to achieve. If you can just accomplish enough, then that'll solve that nagging feeling inside of you that things aren't just right. Or you need wealth. You need accolades and achievements. You need good works. You need these things, and then you'll be good. And we spend our life searching to silence that nagging voice, to solve what's gone wrong inside of us, to solve what's gone wrong in our world. But do those things ever solve that issue? The more you achieve, guess what you are fueled by? Achieving. The more you try and, and, and pacify that feeling and numb that feeling, you've got to keep going back to the well again and and again and again. And is that ever solving that problem? We're in this series looking through the book of Acts, trying to say, man, that book of early, uh, the book, the church in Acts was remarkable. They weren't just an institution where you come and and you worship and you put some money in the offering and you sing a song and you feel really good. No, the church was a movement that impacted everything around it, that changed the cities that they were in. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of an institution that we come and just participate in some religious services and feel really good and go home. Now, I want Restoration Church to be a movement that begins to impact our city, begins to impact everything around us. That's why we're studying the book of Acts, saying, God, would you help us be not just an institution, help us be a movement. We saw last week Paul and Barnabas, a couple leaders from that church. They went on their first missionary journey. They go to a place called Cyprus, and they go to the synagogue, which was the custom. They would go to the synagogue, and they start talking to the Jewish people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's tell you about Jesus and what he has done for you. In our text today, we're going to see Paul's very first public sermon that is recorded. And Paul's going to talk about one of the most important aspects of Christianity, one of the foundational beliefs that we need to grasp. He's going to talk about this word called justification which may be Paul's favorite thing to talk about. It is his foundational core belief that he is all about. And why does he bring up justification? Because again, that addresses what's wrong in our world, addresses what's wrong with us. And Paul's gonna say that it's our justification before God, which means that we can be forgiven, accepted, and free in Jesus Paul saying it's those things that will solve the problem in our world and give us encouragement in our life today. We're going to jump in. Our text, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13. It says, Paul and his companions, set sail from Paphos to Perga. And from Perga, they went to Antioch and Poseidon. Now, we've already talked about Antioch. we talked about the church in Antioch. This is where uh, Paul and Barnabas were. This Antioch is a different Antioch. This is kind of like you've got Portland, Oregon... That's the real Portland, the weird one. And then you've got that other Portland in Maine, like another one. That's what we've got here. You've got Antioch. Uh, This is where the church was. And now they've gone to a different Antioch. This is in Galatia. If you are familiar with your Bible, the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote, that's in your Bible, is to this church that they've gone to in Antioch. And uh, it's the Sabbath day, so they go to the synagogue because, again, that was kind of their custom, and verse 15, it says, the rulers looked at Paul and Barnabas, and they said, brothers, have you any encouragement, any word of encouragement? Go ahead and say it. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be like saying, hey, Kevin, would you like a no-bake cookie? Like, there's no answer. I'm just opening my mouth and waiting for you to put it in my mouth. Yes, duh, of course. I will say something. I'm a, uh, Paul's like, I'm a preacher. I will Of course, you give me the opportunity I'm going to speak. Let me ask you this, though. Imagine you walked in and somebody said, hey, give us some encouragement. What encouragement would you give them? How would you answer that question? I need some encouragement. Give me some encouragement. What would you say? Oh, I've got some helpful hints to a happy life. Here's five steps to make your life good and happy. Or, hey, here's some tips for how you can lose some weight and get fit. Some helpful encouragement. Those would be good things to hear. Here's how you can be a really good dad and a really good man. Here's the steps you need to do to accomplish these things. Man, I got, I got some encouragement for you. Man, if you do these things and you invest this way, you could retire early and live the good life on a beach in Mexico. Uh, that's my dream, sorry. Uh, but, but here's what you could do. Here's some encouragement for you. Man, you need to capitalize on this experience before you die. It'll be amazing. Somebody asked you, give me some encouragement. What would you say to them? Let me rephrase that question. What would your life say to that question? Because our life is a message that people will see before they ever heard a word coming out of our mouth. What would your life say? They say, Paul, do you have any encouragement for us? Paul's like, absolutely, absolutely. He's going to address what's gone wrong in our world. He's going to offer a solution. He's going to offer some encouragement to fix what's gone wrong in our own lives and what's gone wrong in the world. He starts in verse 16 and says, hey, you men of Israel, you people who fear God. Listen, he repeats this statement again in verse 26. This is who he's addressing. He's saying, you people at the synagogue. You people who are at church thinking that's the solution to the world's problems. Again, he's looking and saying, you guys are at church. You're recognizing something isn't right within you. Something's not right in the world. You've come to church. Maybe we can just learn some religious platitudes. We can learn, like, like some rules that we follow to make God happy. Then maybe God will, will bless our life and make our life good and easy. Paul's like, let's go. I got this. Let's talk about this. And Paul, recognizing he's talking to a lot of people who might be Jews, and so he recounts a little Jewish history. A number of different things that would have given the Jewish people a lot of pride. And he's going to point that the history isn't necessarily about the great achievements of men. He's going to say your history is all about what God has done in your life. In fact, when you look at these next verses, there's going to be 10 different verbs. And the subject of those verbs every time is God. Listen to this, verse 17. It says, God chose your father, Abraham. God made the people great in Egypt with an uplifted harm. God led them out of Egypt. This is a story of the Exodus, right? God did these things. Verse 18, for about 40 years, God put up with them in the wilderness. How many of you feel like God has to put up with you sometimes? My hand was the first to be raised. Verse 19, after destroying Who did this? God did. God destroyed the seven nations in Canaan. He gave them the land as an inheritance. That took about 4,450 years. And after that, he gave them the judges until the prophet Samuel. In verse 21, the people asked for a king, and God gave them King Saul for 40 years. Verse 22, when God removed him, God raised up David, who's a man after God's own heart, who does God's will? Verse twenty three. And of David's offering, he brought to Israel a savior. This is Jesus. You hear that again and again and again. I mean, I mean, Paul just recounted one thousand years of history, and he's saying, "Listen, these aren't random events. These aren't just by chance. These things happen." No, he is saying. This is God at work. God keeps showing up again and again and again for his people, and not because his people are great, not because they're worthy, not because they're they're, they're so remarkable and awesome. No, God shows up because of his grace again and again and again. But notice when we think about the Old Testament, those stories we've talked about, the Exodus. God did this remarkable thing about redeeming his people, bringing them out. But guess what God had to do again? He had to redeem his people again. Because none of those things were sufficient in themselves. You think about that Old Testament. It just keeps going and going. God has to save and redeem again and again and again because none of the Old Testament could fix what had gone wrong in the people's lives. It couldn't fix what's gone wrong in the world. That's why we see this again and again. God shows up, God shows up, God shows up because it couldn't fix what had gone wrong. Then, brings us up to the New Testament. He's going to talk about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist in Jerusalem, he was a heretic. But outside of Jerusalem, John the Baptist was a well-respected prophet. this This is what Paul says. Before Jesus came, John the Baptist proclaimed a baptism of repentance. And finishing his course, he said, who do you suppose that I am? I am not he. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the answer. Behold, one is coming, whose sandals I am unworthy to die, to tie. So even John the Baptist, who's this well-respected prophet, this guy who's great, John says, "Man, my baptism isn't enough. Something greater is coming. It's Jesus. Oh, I solved the problem for you. It's, it's Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Verse 27, he introduces. and says, those in Jerusalem and the rulers, they didn't recognize him. They didn't understand the utterances, the utterances that the prophets had read about him every Sunday. See, we talked about this last year. We went through a series that we called The Story and how the Bible is, is one big story. From the book of Genesis in the very beginning all the way to Revelation, it is one big story constantly pointing us to Jesus. It's not a bunch of rules we're supposed to follow. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a history book. It's a book all about Jesus. And Paul, and Paul is saying, they missed it. They, they missed that this was all pointing to Jesus. And so Paul is going to recount for them, here's the gospel story, right? Here's what Jesus did. He lived his life, and he was not worthy of execution. He did nothing wrong. There was nothing in him that was found wrong that would make him worthy of execution, but those religious leaders, and they had it out for Jesus because he had a different message. He had a message about grace and forgiveness instead of a message about rules and religion. And so those religious leaders, they asked Pilate, hey, he doesn't deserve to die, but can we kill him anyways? And Pilate relents to the pressure, peer pressure. All right, I wash my hands. You guys do what you want to do. And we know the story. They took Jesus, they hung him on the cross, they murdered him, they buried him in a tomb. He was in the grave for three days, and after three days, the grave could no longer hold him. And he walked out of that grave. Paul says he spent 40 days being amongst a number of disciples and apostles. And we are witnesses of this, that this man that was dead had risen from the grave. He's saying, we're witnesses of this. Like, we have seen him. He's no longer dead. He is risen. And again, he says, you religious people, you who have the Old Testament, you missed it. You missed that it was pointing to this Savior in Jesus the Old Testament wasn't just a list of rules to make God happy. The Old Testament was meant to point you to Jesus. In fact, to ensure they understand that, he, in verse 33, he's going to quote out of the book of Psalms. Verse 33, it says, You are my son, today you are begotten. This is a quote from Psalm chapter 2. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The the people had the Old Testament. They had everything to understand. Hey, this Jesus is who they're talking about. But they missed it. They didn't grasp it. They didn't see it. He quotes in verse 35. Verse 35, he says, the Holy One will not see corruption. This is a quote out of Psalm chapter 16. See, the Jews read Psalm 16 and said, oh, they're talking about David. They're talking about King David because King David is awesome and we love King David. But here's the thing. Paul is saying, David died and was buried, and guess what? His body's still there. His body's been decayed. His body has seen corruption. But Jesus? No, he rose from the grave. He rose. His body saw no corruption. It saw no decay. So Psalm Psalm 16 is not talking about David. It's talking about Jesus, because he's the one who has seen no corruption. Again, Paul's saying, hey, you people, you've come to church. You think religion is the answer to what's gone wrong in your heart. if you just be sincere and you just follow the rules, then that nagging voice will be quieted and you'll be good enough and God will accept you. Paul's saying, listen, you've missed it. You've missed it. And here he gets to the very heart of his encouragement in verse 38. Paul says, let it be known to you that through this man, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. See, the problem with our world, the problem in our world is not politics. It's not economics. It's not education. It's not, it's, not, it's not poverty. It's not social media as terrible as it is. It's not armies. It's not government. It's not access to medicine. It's not ignorance. It's not race issues. It's not sexuality issues. No, the problem with our world Is sin. The problem in our world is we are all sinners and we're bent towards our own interests. We're bent to what's easy and what's comfortable rather than what's right. And guess what happens? You know what happens when you put a bunch of sinners together? It's kind of like what you do with kids. You take a bottle of Diet Coke, you take the top off and you put some Mentos in it. You know what happens when you do that? It explodes. Paul says this is what's wrong in the world. We're sinners, and you put us together, and we make messes of the world, which is why our world is falling apart. But hear this. It's not just out there. It's not just in the world that deals with sin. If we're going to be honest, each one of us, we've got the sin problem within us as well. It's not just those other people out there. No, every one of us have some brokenness, have some sin within us. We are sinners. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. But when God created us, God created us to have a relationship with him. He's a relational God. He wants us to be in relationship with him, but our sin separates us. And that nagging voice that we hear, something isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be separated from God. It's meant for us to figure out how do we be reunited with him? Because that separation leaves us feeling like we're not whole. We're unsettled. And so what do we do? We start spending our life looking for a solution. What's going to solve this thing that's inside of me? I need to be a better person. I need to be prettier, smarter, stronger. I need to numb the guilt. I need to do something that makes me feel better. And Paul says, no, it's not it. Paul says, no, through this man... We experience forgiveness of sin. Verse 39, by him, everyone, not just church people, not just good people, not Republicans, not Democrats, everyone who believes will be freed from everything from which uh, you cannot be freed from the law of Moses. Again, who's Paul talking to? Religious people, people pursuing the religious rules, people who say, if I could just follow these religious rules, then God will be happy with me. That would fix what's gone wrong in my heart. That would make me whole and complete. They're being honest. Paul's like, you guys are failing at that. None of us, as hard as we try, can keep the Ten Commandments. None of us can be good enough. And if you say you are, you are a liar. It's exhausting for us to try and be good enough all the time. That's not peace. That's not free. That's slavery. That slavery is what that is. And Paul says, listen to this everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, and what he has done for you are free. You're free from the religious rules that cannot save you. See, simply, if we believe and receive, that is where freedom is found. See, this word, free, ESV, says uh, everyone who believes is freed. That word can also be translated as justifies. This is where I get our, we get our theological term of justification. Justification means this. Justification is a gracious act where God declares a sinner righteous or right with him through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of of Jesus Christ. It means that we deserve the penalty of sin, but Jesus took that penalty on our behalf. And now we have forgiveness and freedom in him because of what he has done for us. In fact, justification can often be said like this. Justification means just as if I'd never sinned. We are justified in Jesus, which means we are made right with God not because we're good enough, not because we've accomplished, not because uh, any of these other things. We are justified because of what Jesus has done in our place. So we don't have to go and find the solution. We don't have to go and accomplish and achieve and be good enough in order to be accepted and justified. No, we are right with God because of what Jesus has done, and that makes us whole. That makes us complete. Scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is There is freedom. When we have a relationship with him, there's freedom and wholeness. Things are made right. That nagging voice gets silenced because we are made whole in Christ Jesus. And again, Paul's talking to these religious people. Hey, you people have turned to religion. You think that's going to solve the problem in your life. Imagine if, if Paul was talking to someone else talking to people who thought politics was the answer. He would say, listen, you are freed in him from what politics can't free in you, or from money, or from exploring your sexuality, or experiences, or politics, or whatever it is. Those things will never be enough. We spend our lives trying to achieve or make money or become famous or become powerful or whatever it happens to be. And Paul would say, those things will never be enough. You'll not be free until you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, until you are justified by him. Why? Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are free in a relationship with him. Now, here's the thing. We talk about how we can be justified with God, how we can be made right and whole and complete. And sometimes people hear that message and they think, it sounds too easy. Freedom and grace. Verse 40, it says, beware. Anytime you see the word beware or caution, You should underline it in your Bible. You should circle it. You're one of those people that likes to write in your Bible. This is a great thing to do. I know some of you are like, I don't want to mess up my Bible. You know what I heard? I don't know if it's true, but uh, a messy Bible leads to an unmessy life. That's just what I heard. That's just some free preaching for you today. He says, beware, lest what the prophet said would come true. When they say, look at the scoffers, be astounded and perish. I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. Paul says, listen, you can be justified with God. You can be made right. You can be whole. You can be free, but not everybody's going to believe. Not everyone is going to, to follow. Why? Because the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The cross to those of us who are being saved The cross is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. We experience God's power in our life. Like the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in us because of the cross. But guess what? To those who don't believe, the cross is foolishness. There's going to be some people that hear this message of grace, this message of justification, this message of Jesus. man, it sounds too easy. It doesn't sound right to me. All these years, I've performed this religious performance, and now you're telling me if I just choose a different way, then I can be justified and made right? It just doesn't seem right. I have to give up all my accomplishments, all the things I've done, and look how great I am, and look how religious I am. I have to give that up and humble myself and simply believe in Jesus? I can't do that. I can't do that. Or we think, how can that be fair? Like, I've lived my whole life for God, and I'm, I'm a good person, and that person over there, man, they've done some horrible things. They're a terrible person. They've not lived a good life. Yeah, All they have to do is believe, and they get the same grace that I do. It's not fair. What kind of God is that? Why would I believe in that kind of a, of a God? No, the world told me, again, this is what people will say. The world told me I've got to achieve. I've got to become great. I've got to trust in myself. I can't trust in anybody else. I trust in myself, and that's what makes me great. Paul says there are going to be some who the message of the cross is foolishness. They will not believe. They will perish In fact, it goes further. The next, verse 44, it says, the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But there were Jews who saw the crowds and they were jealous. They began to contradict Paul, reviling him. Verse 46, but Paul and Barnabas said, Is it is necessary that the word of God was spoke to you first. Since you thrust it aside and you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 7. Verse 47, the Lord commanded, I made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And where we've talked about in the book of Acts, chapter 13 is a hinge point. Prior to that, man, the church was really focused on reaching the Jews. And hey, we're gonna reach the Israelites, God's chosen people. We're gonna focus on that. But Paul's saying that field isn't ready to harvest. They're not ready to believe the message of grace to believe that there is freedom and justification in Jesus and not in ourselves. They have thrust aside the power of God. So Paul says, okay, so we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And This is why we say Paul became the greatest church planter and missionary who ever lived, because he did. He took that message and said, we're going to go and proclaim to the ends of the earth, And, you know, here we are 2,000 years later. What year are we, 2023? And our mission is a continuation of what Paul started about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist, that we could take the gospel to places like Yakima and Selah and Gleed and Terrace Heights and, God forbid, Wiley City, all those places like, we, we live in this, this, you know, religious world. Do you realize there are people in our city, there are people in your family that have not actually heard the message of Jesus Christ? They've not heard that there is freedom in him. No, we are here to continue that mission of taking the gospel, the, the message of Jesus, to the ends of the earth. Our job's not to save them. Again, there's going to be some who reject the message. But our job is to tell them about Jesus, the gospel of what he has done for them, of the freedom that's found in believing and receiving. And I love this because in chapter 13, it said that the whole city showed up to hear them. Why did the whole city show up to the synagogue to hear the apostles preaching? Paul and Barnabas? Because those that did believe, to this message is life-changing, this message is freedom. This message is the power of God. and they invited everybody. You've got to hear this. You've got to come and hear about this Jesus, how you can be restored and have this right relationship with God, and how you can be free. Can you imagine if we took that message and believed it was a solution to our problems in our world?) <laughs> I feel like I just ran through a marathon trying to cover all these verses in 15 minutes of time, 20 minutes of time, condensed it. But I tell you, this chapter is the introduction of one of the biggest things in Scripture that we can understand about Christianity, this idea of justification. And I love it because the religious leaders, they look at Paul they say, hey, do you have any encouragement for us? How can you encourage us and Paul's answer is, let me tell you how you can be justified. Let me tell you how you can be free. In fact, this is the summary of this message, summary of our text today. That justification, which is when you experience total forgiveness and acceptance and freedom in Jesus, justification is the greatest encouragement that we can give to a broken world. What encouragement do you have? Let me tell you how to lose some weight. Let me tell you five steps to to have a happier marriage. No, let me tell you about justification, how you can be made right with God and experience freedom. To solve that nagging voice, to silence that nagging voice in the back of your head. I am whole. I am right because of Jesus. See, this idea of justification is so foundational and significant in our Christianity, we have to grasp it. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, it's through justification that we ought to see everything else. We start thinking about all the other issues in our world. We start thinking about uh, politics and sexuality and sexual identity and vocation and social media and religious freedom and family and racial equality. All these things that we look at in our culture and our world today, listen, listen, if we don't start with justification, if we don't view those things in light of how we can be made right with God, then we start looking to all those other things to satisfy us. If we don't start with the fact that we are made right with God because of Jesus, then we start looking to all those, well, politics will solve my problems. I just gotta have, vote for the right candidate. Sexual identity will solve my problems. I just need to explore and figure out what's gonna make me happy. No, this is why we have to start with this idea of justification we are made right, we are, we are fix our sin problem because of Jesus and nothing else. And it's through that message of Jesus, then we begin to look and filter through those other topics, that politics begins to make sense when Jesus is at the center of it, that our sexual identity begins to make sense when Jesus is at the center of it, the family and social media and all these other things, they make sense when Jesus is at the center of it. Freedom is found in the love, forgiveness, and righteousness of Jesus for those who believe. In fact, that's the application. Simply is to believe. This is what Paul said, verse 39 By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you cannot be freed from the law of Moses. The application for us is not to go do, it's not to get our life right. not to jump through some hoops to be a religious person. The application is simply to believe. Believe that Jesus died for you. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that he is alive today at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. That is where grace is and purpose, and power is found in us believing in him and what he has done for us. Does that ever seem too simple, though? All I have to do is believe? Well, I love this. I skipped over this. Verse 43. Go back to verse 43. It says, Paul and Barnabas Urge them to continue in the grace of God. you ever thought about why Paul tells them and urges them to continue in the grace of God? I mean, he just preached that message. He just said, listen, all you do is believe, and now he's saying, I'm urging you to continue in the grace of God. Why does he tell them to do that? I'll borrow a line from Ted Lasso because we're like goldfish. We have a very short memory. Like we might understand that we are justified by God. But what does our world continue to tell us? Oh, it's all about works. It's all about achievement. And so we understand theologically, oh yes, I'm justified by God, but then we go to the world and all the voices around us are saying, you need to go and achieve. You need to go and do. You need to go explore your, all these other things. You need to go and do these things. If you just had a relationship, then you'd be satisfied. If you had kids, you'd be satisfied. If you got the promotion, everything would be set. If you got a new job, everything would be all right. And sure, we understand theologically, I'm right with God because of this, but we practically live for the world and achievement. And we have the short memory where, where we come to church and we're reminded about the grace, but then we live for achievement and doing and pursuing all these other things, like they're gonna solve our problems. I mean, you turn on the news. What do you hear on the news? Huh, if you vote for this candidate, the world's gonna come to an end. Another channel, you vote for this candidate, the world's gonna come to an end. And guess what that does to us? It fuels us to thinking, oh, the solution is in politics. We go on social media, and we see everybody else's posts. Look, their perfect little picture frame where everything looks so pretty and happy, and we fail to remember that that's just a glimpse of the rest of the whole event that was a mess, right? We spend hours getting the right picture with the right background, with the right situation, so everything looks perfect. That doesn't show the mess we did to get there. Yet we look at that picture, and we start thinking, man, I need to do more. I need, to, I need to buy more. I need to, I need to be prettier. I need to, I need to do these other things. I need to be stronger. I need all these other things for me to be satisfied and keep up with these other people. No, our world is built not on grace. Our world is built on achievement and wealth and power and politics. And even as, even as a pastor, theologically, I know what justification is but I can't tell you how many times the weight of my opinion about myself is based on what other people think of me. This is why Paul says, I urge you to continue in the grace of God, to continue thinking about it, to continue hearing about the grace of God, learning about the grace of God, because we are so quick to forget And go back to the way the world tells us to live. He says, I urge you, continue, keep coming back to the grace of God. In fact, I remember when we planted our church, there was a gentleman who said, Hey, all you ever do is preach the gospel. Every Sunday, you come back to this idea that Jesus died for me and that's what makes me right. Can't we get to the deeper things of the gospel? I'm like, That's what the gospel is, that's what Christianity is. We need to be reminded of his grace again and again because we are goldfish and we forget it so quickly. So here's my encouragement to you. This is how I'm continuing in the grace of God. Here's a couple of weeks ago, I was painting a, a house and I was on a 24-foot extension ladder. Picture that. And I'm up painting the top. And I, I'll just tell you, I hate heights. It's terrible. It's terrible. The heights are the worst. This ladder is extended as high as I can, and I'm up there, and it felt like, on the top of this ladder, I felt like, uh, I felt like I was a sail on the top of the ladder, and so the wind comes and pushes me, and that ladder moves. Like, I felt it move like four feet. I think it was about an inch. But that ladder moved, and I'm like, this is terrible. I'm about to poop my pants. This is horrible. I hate this. Why am I doing this? I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Um, a really bad picture for you. I apologize for that. uh I I didn't really do that. I'm just, I need to stop talking about it, Kevin. Uh, I'm on this ladder, and I'm scared to death. And I'm like, I've got to do something to distract. I got a whole bunch of, I got to paint. I'm like, I'm going to put a podcast on to distract me. And I'm listening to this podcast, and uh, this Christian businessman was being interviewed. This guy was very successful, wealthy, accomplished. And he said, here's my secret in my faith, is I do daily affirmations. Now, I don't know what you hear by affirmations, but uh, like when I was growing up, my mom had this season where she struggled with some mental health stuff, and she put this, uh, she, she got ordered this, uh, again, this is, you didn't order on the internet, you called into some phone, and then they sent you these tapes, and she would listen to these tapes every day that had this really soothing voice. I'd be like, you are amazing. You are wonderful. You are enough. I think about affirmations, and that's what I think of. I think like, that's just weird, Right? oh, these weird things that you say about yourself. This businessman who had all the success said, you know what? In my job and in my profession, it's easy for me to get sucked back into my value and my worth coming from my accomplishments, my wealth, the circles I run in. Man, it's so easy for me to get sucked away from the grace of God. He said, so I, every day, I read myself biblical affirmations. Truths from Scripture that remind me of who I am in Christ. So when I get to the office, I'm not thinking that I have to go and achieve. I'm thinking about I've already achieved because of Jesus. I'm already accepted. He said, this changed the way that I think. It was how I remained in the grace of Christ to be reminded again and again of what Scripture says about me. As I'm standing on this ladder, I'm like, I can see why it would be effective. So last month or so, I started with some daily affirmations I wanted to share with you. These are things I read every morning. Help me start my day out thinking about grace and not about achievement. I tell myself from Ephesians chapter 2 that because of Jesus, there's nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any Less. Can you imagine if you started out your day thinking there's nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any less? I am already loved and chosen and accepted by Him. How would that change the way that you view your work, your relationships? Second one I say is I am fully loved and accepted by God, and therefore I have nothing prove to anyone else. These are things that, for me, this is how I remain in the grace of God. To be thinking these things over my life, so that way, when the, the, the little voice comes back and Satan tries to say, oh, Kevin, oh, Kevin, you need to achieve, oh, Kevin, you need to, I can say, no, this is what God says about me. And I can stand in his grace knowing that I am justified and made right and that's my that's what I want to urge you in today is to continue in the grace of God his freedom, his acceptance his wholeness, his completeness you are justified because of the goodness of Jesus and nothing else